Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 280 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. In today's show, we'll talk about practicing without a partner, learning how to topspin, changing fortunes in matches, and the incredible Tomokazu Harimoto. We'll also have the tip of the week and the drill of the week. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Uh, thanks, Jeff, and good morning to you, and good morning, everyone out there. It's uh, it's a, it's another hot day in Melbourne. Yeah, the Mel- the Melbourne weather is crazy, Alois. It, you know, we had really cold weather the other day. It's the middle yeah, of was- summer. Yeah, it was nineteen. It was nineteen, I think, uh, Celsius as a top the other day, and today a top of thirty-four. They're predicting yeah. so. Now Melbourne, <laughs> not known for its weather, I must say. Um, <laughs> they say you get four seasons in one day in Melbourne, and it's certainly panned out that way lately. We had some. Yeah, the other day it was freezing in the morning, then it was rain, then windy, and then all of a sudden there was some sun in the afternoon. Crazy city. It is, but it's a beautiful city. Come <laughs> and visit. Uh, yeah, come and visit. Lovely place, Melbourne. <laughs> we, we really made it sound great, Alois, there. <laughs> we should do the tourism for Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, well, before we uh, mess up anything else, let's get on to what happened on this day. Well, it's really the eight. Um, 18th of February uh, for this one. Um, so on the 18th of February, it was Cedric Cabastani's birthday. Now, probably not a household name in table tennis, but um, he's got an interesting story because uh, Cedric was a, a top uh, junior in France. He, uh, in 1996, won a silver medal in the French, French Youth Championships and um, and doubles juniors and um, also then later on went on to win the uh, French uh, top 12 senior tournament, um, was uh, runner-up in uh, the French doubles. So obviously a, a very strong player, but later in um, in his life he's uh, developed some a nerve disorder and has now qualified to play at the Paralympics. And uh, in 2012 in London uh, finished the uh, the in fourth position in uh, his class. So he's a class nine player. Um, so finished fourth at the Paralympics there. So uh, so an, an incredible effort by Cedric Cabastani. Um, and he's uh, also, I think, currently ranked about number nine in his class in the world. Um, so, uh, you know, developing, um, developing new skills, you know, um, changing his game and, uh, and still, you know, finding success and um, and joy in, in the game of table tennis. What an inspirational story. Um, that is great to hear, Alois. It is, isn't it wonderful that table tennis can bring out, you know, such good stories and, um, you know, people can fight through adversity and, you know, keep enjoying their table tennis and have success through table tennis. Yeah, so uh, so Cedric Cabastani, happy birthday to you for the other day and uh, and hope to see a lot more of you in Paralympic table tennis. Fantastic. All right, yes, happy birthday, Cedric, for the other day. All right, Alice, well, that's good. And um, in a way, the tip of the week kind of, you know, emulates that story a little bit. Tell us a bit about the tip for this week. Yeah, well, the tip of the week, and I think um, it's one we have talked a little bit about before, but uh, it's a tip that really came from uh, one of the New Zealand um, 
players, Richard Lee, when he was talking to you um, a while ago, and his tip is don't give up too early. So I see a lot of players, you know, you, you, always in sport and, you know, in table tennis, there's, it's no exception. You always go through those peaks and troughs uh, with your game. You know, there's, there's days when it's fantastic. There's days when it's absolutely lousy. But I think the thing to remember is that every single player goes through those peaks and troughs with their game, even Marlong. You know, even even the greats of the game, even Waldner would have had days where he um, got off the table after training or after a match and thought, oh, I'd never want to play this game again. But the the key is to just be able to push through those those troughs. You know, when you are feeling a bit low, um, it's about just reassessing, understanding that it's all part of a really long process and there has to be those ups and downs in your game along the way. But, you know, the the ones that achieve success um, are the ones that are able to push through that a little bit more single-minded, I suppose, and and then end up finding some greater heights. So, yeah, so tip of the week this week is don't give up too early. So, Jeff, you you spoke to Richard Lee um, with that interview. Yeah, it was a while ago now, but I still I still remember it clearly. Um, because he said, you know, he sees so many people that he, uh, put in a whole lot of effort. Um, you know, they may be from like fourteen to nineteen. They put in five years, and then they just give up. And he's like, you know, all that effort could be just about to pay off. And he kind of pointed out that you know your progress is not always linear. It's kind of you can often have these quick jumps in level and then, you know, it might take you a while again, then you'll jump up. So it's, it's really about perseverance, uh, keeping on training, keeping on practicing, keeping on working on your game. And if you give up too early, you've kind of wasted all that time you've, you've put into the game already. So, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a great tip. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think it also pertains – so you talked about, you know, the you know, ages of 14 to 19, but I think it can pertain to, to anyone at any age too. You know, we have a lot of um, readers and listeners that take up the game later in life too, and I think it it pertains to, to you as well. You know, that initially you will find that there's, you know, pretty rapid improvement with some skills. You know, you learn how to play a forehand and a backhand and, and things go pretty well, but there will be that – um, you know that either that trough or that plateau um, in your development that you just need to keep pushing through, um, and you know suddenly, and it can be almost without um, uh, reason sometimes that you know suddenly then wow you know like you find that there's um, a big big jump again in your in your level, but it is about that perseverance as you said, Jeff. Yeah, and you know that interview we did recently on the Pink Seals show with Brian Berry. Um, highlights this as well that it is for any age like he you know he started off as a, an older teenager and then you know progressed right into his 60s and became Australian champion and did well at uh, national at uh, sorry world veteran championships so you know his perseverance definitely shows that you should just you know keep working and you know results will come yeah absolutely yeah yeah so, you know, what I should do, Alois, in the near future is um, just make some special episodes of this podcast where I just maybe replay that Richard Lee interview and maybe put the, the Brian Berry one on here for people to listen to because they, they are, you know, good stories to hear and um, I think people would get 
a lot out of it. Yeah, good idea, Jeff. Thank you. All right. So there's the tip of the week. Don't give up too early. All right, and that moves us on to the drill of the week. What have we got for the listeners this week, Alois? Yeah, this one's totally unrelated, so uh, so no uh, no continuity here. But um, it's with varying your placement with your forehand topspin. And I, I guess you know we can talk about this with um, with any of your drills that you do. But often um, when we do a drill, um, a lot of it is done to one position. So you um, you know you might do some forehand footwork for example, or some backhand, forehand footwork, but you'll do it to the one position for the whole time. Um, I think as some variations to that, you know, if, you, if you're doing a drill for seven or ten minutes, do two minutes to the forehand side, then topspin two minutes to the other side, um, and then I think as a, as a next step is to then – um, have the option of where you're going to topspin it to, because that really does change the way that you uh, that you play the drill. So, so varying the placement with the forehand topspin is a really good one. So, a good way to start it is to play your forehand topspin, but just topspin one to the forehand, one to the backhand. So, just alternate where you're topspinning to. So that starts to get you to the feel of the the changes that you need to make with your stroke to to play the ball to the different sides. And then you can start to develop the drills from there. Okay. So one of the real advantages of this is that you have to make a decision, like once you start doing the random, move on to the more complicated version of this, is you have to make a decision about where you're going to hit it as the ball's coming to you. So it's like not only do you have to play the top spin, but you've got to decide where to hit it. So there's an added level of complication that's going to help you when you're playing a game is that right yeah exactly and and in a game situation there's no rules as to where you've got to hit the ball um you can hit it anywhere on the table and so that decision making has to happen in a game situation but often with our drills we have a very set position that um that we're going to hit to and as you said that extra decision it sounds like it should be easier right because you've got the whole table to hit to but that extra decision making can actually tie you up and actually make it more complicated for you. So um, yeah, so vary vary the placement with your with your um, drills and with your top spins, um, and see if you can develop that area of your game too. Okay, now now when we when you start off with this, it sounds like it's going to be harder for the the blocker because um, they've got to, especially if they're doing one point and one back end, they've got to concentrate a bit harder as well. But I guess that makes the drill more interesting for them as well because a bit of that. And then when it goes to random, it's even harder for them. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, it depends on who you're, you're training with. But do it at a slower pace. Do it at uh, a pace that your training partner can cope with. And then as you start to both start to feel a bit more comfortable, then you can increase pace. Okay. And then one other thing that popped into my mind is that this could be a, a good use of multi-ball because then the feeder can just feed you something and then you can hit the ball anywhere and he doesn't have to worry about getting it back. He can just feed the next, the next ball. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good, that's another good way to start with it. But um, I, th- I think develop to the hitting back to you fairly quickly because um, then it's also a matter of tracking each ball as it goes out and go, comes back in again too. Ah, excellent point. All right, good. Okay, so there's the drill of the week. Try this in your uh, training, even if it's just starting off by, you know, doing uh, two minutes to the forehand and two minutes to the backhand, just getting used to hitting it to different spots, and then try 
you know, maybe one each side in the single rally and see how it goes for you and see how well you cope with having to make that extra decision. All right, good tip, good drill of the week, actually, Alois. All right, now... Thank you. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about the Indian Open, um, some really interesting results from this tournament, Alois. Yeah, and we, we have to start with the... Um with the men's singles, because it was definitely the story of this event. So the overall winner was uh, Dmitry Ovcharov. And isn't it good now to see him on a real high? So he's um, he won the uh, Europe top 16 um, in February and now um, has come out and won the uh, Indian Open as well. So yeah, but, and from all all accounts, Alois, he's like a really hard worker, trains like a madman, always looking to improve. And so, and there's been a little bit of doubt over him, you know, winning some big tournaments. So yeah, it's really good to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've um, we've questioned his ability in um, in those bigger tournaments. You know, just often failing um, or, or finding a hurdle in those tournaments. But you know, hopefully this just starts to build some real inner confidence in in uh, his own ability. So on his way, he um, he beat uh, Joe Geraldo from Portugal um, in the round of 16. He beat Yuya Oshima um, in a toughie, 12-10 in the seventh wow. um, in in his quarterfinal, uh, and then took on um, Koki Niwa, in the semi. So, you know, um, Japanese player in the quarters, Japanese player in the semi. And then the big story, um, he came up against Tomokazu Harimoto, also from Japan, in the final. Um, Now, some of you will be familiar with Harimoto's story, but this player is 13 years old. Um, it blows my mind every time I think about it and every time this guy has a bit of success at this age. But to reach the final of a world tour event at 13 is I, – I, I just don't understand it personally. Um, you know, he's, um, we, we always talk about, you know, it takes 10 long years of training and this and that. And, but, you know, I mean, and, and he has been training for a long time, don't get me wrong. But to have – the poise and the uh, and the maturity at 13 to make the final of uh, the Indian Open is just incredible. So in the semi, I mean, he took he took on uh, Kamala Chanta from India, at, you know, with his home crowd <laughs> and and beat him uh, four games to two. Now I'll tell you, Chanta is no mug with the table tennis bat. He is he is a quality player and has just so much experience behind him. Um, and to be able to take him on in India um, was and beat him is, is, is wow. You know, like it's just a big wow from me. So um, hopefully, you know, hopefully let's, we'll be able to follow um, Harimoto's uh, progress now over the next couple of years and just see, I mean, the th- things that the possibilities seem endless, you know, but there's always that Chinese wall as well. You know, can he break through that Chinese wall of dominance? 
um, over the next. I mean, let's give him five years. Let's give him seven years. Um, but can he can he get there? That that's that's the big question for me. Yeah, unbelievable. And um, what is Japan doing to produce all these incredible players at unbelievably young ages? Yeah, that it it is it is incredible. And you know. There was there was a period that Japan went into a real low with their with their table tennis, but you know I think we've talked about it before now. Um, I mean, really, he is oh, sorry. Japan is you know number two overall in the world now um, in table tennis. So yeah. uh, so really really great effort. Yeah, and, and you're right. You know the the young girls that they, that are coming through. You know Harimoto's that are coming through. Wow, very impressive. All right, so well done, Harry Moto. Um, yeah, and on the, yeah, and on on the, the women's side, yep. On, on, on the women's side, yep. So Sakura Mori, another Japanese player, took the women's singles, uh, beating Matilda Ekholm from Sweden in the final, which again was a bit of a surprise. So, um, so, so well done to both those players. Um, yeah, but um, you know, for me, the story of the tournament is Harry Moto. Absolutely, yep. So. If you've never uh, heard of him before, get on to him. Have a bit of a Google. Yeah, uh, we um, we gave you a tip last in last week's show to get on and watch the Indian Open on ITTV. Um, so you can get on there and, and see the final still. So get on, have a look. Um, he, he got he got trounced a bit in the final uh, with Ovcharov, but um, have a look at it because there's there's a couple of well, one really interesting thing, and that is that. Ovcharov's um, tomahawk serve basically killed Harimoto, um, and it was that one thing alone that was the difference between uh, between the two players. Harimoto struggled so much with that serve; he he was you know like putting it into the bottom of the net a lot of the time. So um, yeah, that's that's something really interesting to watch. Okay, yeah, get on to it. Very good. All right, Alois, this moves us on to the questions. And uh, first up is one from Subban, and he says, Coach, what is the best way to perfect basic strokes nowadays? I'm often without a partner, so is there any way I could practice these basic strokes alone? Yeah, I think, um, Subban, one, one really good and simple way um, is to just stand in front of the mirror and do some shadow swings. So shadow swings are where you don't use a ball. Um, and while you're watching yourself do these strokes, I mean, do do 100 in a row. Focus a lot on seeing where you're starting, where you're finishing. And then as you're starting to move through those that stroke and, you know, getting towards 30, 40, 50, then start to feel how um, smooth and relaxed you can play that stroke and still make it look the same now probably a, a good way to do it is if you've got um some of the our uh, videos playing in the background or even just sitting next to you there and just watching the video of the stroke that you're practicing and then watching yourself in the mirror and just see what does that look like does that look similar how can I change it to make it look uh, the same? So, so that's a really good way because then your body starts to understand the feeling of what your arm, bat, legs, um, everything needs to be doing to make that stroke correctly. Um, and then from that, I think the next step is to progress onto actually hitting the ball. But you can do it up against the wall, especially with your basic strokes. 
it's just put it um you can push a table up against the wall and it can be any table and just hit the ball t- um against the wall again then focusing on the the feeling of the stroke feeling of uh, you know where your bat's starting finishing all those sorts of things um is is a really nice simple way of getting your strokes better yeah, that sounds good, um, and especially for the basic strokes. I guess it gets harder if you want to play some big top spins, but I guess at that stage you probably need to hit against someone. But when you're doing the the shadow play, you, so you say focus on um, you know your arm and just feeling how relaxed you can do it, and then the finish position. So they're all good things. What about um, imagining like? Do you imagine you're actually hitting the ball or are you more focused on the start and finish position or do you do a bit of both? What do you recommend? Yeah, yeah the, the, the more of your senses that you can bring into it, the better. Um, so so definitely you can, you can start to imagine yourself hitting the ball as well and, you know, even start to... F- to think about the feeling that you would be getting with that ball hitting your bat at the at the contact point. So yeah, so you can definitely bring that in as well. Um, probably initially, you know, focus on um, the the feeling of the stroke and where the stroke's starting. Have a look at it where it's finishing. Have a look at it um, and then start to bring in those other senses of the feel and touch and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So kind of just build layer upon layer. Yeah. Excellent. All right. All right. Good question, Saban, and hopefully that helps you out. All right. Next up is a question from Bazia, who has difficulty doing the topspin. He says, I am a beginner player in table tennis, and when I play with one of my friends who's a chopper, I can't return his chop with my topspin stroke. Every time I do it, it goes straight into the net. He goes, I can't even understand what the problem is. Uh, no matter how hard I try, can you please give me a suggestion to help me out? Yeah, so so that topspin against backspin ball is a difficult one, and we, we do talk about this a little bit, um, but it's one of those strokes that you need to need to practice a lot, obviously, but you need to get the feel of the um, the contact of the ball as well as the start and finish position. So that contact needs to be a brushing action so that you're, lifting the ball up and over the net. But then I suppose one other thing that we often don't focus on a lot is just the speed of your bat on contact. If you do everything correctly, so you start in the right position, you've got a brushing action and you finish in the right position, the ball can still go in the net if your bat isn't moving fast enough because the force that you're generating to lift isn't as strong as the force of the backspin on the ball. So what you need to do then is just increase the speed of that stroke, but making sure that you're keeping the stroke the same. So start position's the same, contact's the same, finish position's the same, but you're just moving that bat through faster. And that force will then counteract the force of that backspin on the ball and lift the ball over the net. Yeah, and I guess that's where the difficulty is, isn't it? Because the temptation is when you increase the speed to maybe alter the shot, or not the temptation, but the it just it, it can be easy to lose the form in your stroke um, unless you've really got that well ingrained. Yeah, exactly. And keeping that form is is crucial because if you change the stroke, then um, you're going to run into lots of problems. All right. Okay. So Basir, try increasing the speed of your stroke. Give it uh, more kind of lift in a way, and um, 
And I guess the other part of that is when you increase the speed of the stroke, you still got to get that nice brushing contact. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's what's going to help you to lift. Um, you, uh, Basia mentions that he's using a Butterfly Wakaba 3000 bat. Um, so I suppose that's the other thing to just think about. I mean, that, that that bat as a new bat would be fine. Just make sure that your rubber is still tacky and grippy um, because if, it, if the rubber is slippery, then there's no chance of lifting that ball over the net either. Yeah, good point. And you're not going to get your top spin even if you do hit it upwards to, to bring it down onto the table. So you do need a, yeah, a good table tennis rubber. All right, good luck, Basia. All right, now Lucas um, has a question, and he says, every coach says to me that I do not need to play every top spin that strong because it means a lot of easy mistakes. I always try to avoid these easy balls, but I think the quality in my slower loops is not that good, and so when I try to play the ball long and with spin, I get many counterattacks when I play against good opponents. So what should he do here? Should he go for the faster one? Should he mix it up? What's your advice, Alloys? Yeah, so so first up, you need to be able to play the stroke correctly um, and put the ball on the table, which it sounds like you are able to do because in the match, you're saying that the ball is going on. So now it's a matter of increasing the quality of that stroke. So how do you increase the quality? Um, it's a little bit like we talked about in the, in the previous question. You need to increase the speed of your racket. If you're coming through really slowly, then your opponent uh, will find it easy to control the ball back. If you're bringing that bat through fast, then you're going to be able to generate lots more speed. The other crucial part is variation, though. So you need to be able to have variation because no matter how good your slow spinny top spin is, if you play that all the time, your opponent will be able to adjust and be able to then hit that ball back at you hard because they've got enough time to do it. So you need to be able to vary between a faster topspin and a slower topspin, and that that difference is what's going to win you points. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a huge difference always, does it? Like, you know, if you drop 10% off uh, of speed off or 20% off, it can make a big difference to um, the opponent trying to receive it. And I guess you see that in sports like baseball and um cricket when people bowl slower balls it's really hard for the batter to adjust to that change of pace yeah that's right and but i suppose the the wider uh, variation or wider range that you possess then the harder it is for your opponent to be able to tell what's coming as well so yeah so, uh, good point so yeah, so practice practice a wide range of speeds and spins with your with your topspin or with with your strokes, um, and that then really broadens your possibilities and it puts a little bit more doubt in your opponent's mind as to what is actually going to come off your bat uh, next time you hit it. Yeah, and I can see um, what his coach might be saying also because I often see players go out and just hit the ball as hard as they can all the time, and they make so many mistakes they give away so many free points so they might hit more winners but their unforced errors if they outweigh your winners then you're behind in the game so it's really yeah. about developing consistency and you know being able to put more balls on the table yeah definitely and I, and yeah i i agree with you jeff there you know i that's probably the the start of this conversation and and your your coach sounds like he might be frustrated because you're probably missing too many because you're trying to hit the ball too hard too often so yeah slowing down keeping the ball in play 
um, is is important. If you don't hit the ball on the table, you don't win the point. Yeah, um, and if, yeah. exactly. And here's an interesting experiment for people. Like, if their forehand does seem a little bit inconsistent, maybe try and back off the pace just ten percent, not a lot, but just back it off ten percent and see if it makes a difference um, to your game. Just yep. as an experiment. Yep. Give it a try. <laughs> All right, thanks for the question, Lucas, and hopefully that helps you out. Now, the next question is from Frank, and he wants to know about, you know, the changes of fortune during a match. He says, my friends and I play fairly casually, and our sessions mostly consist of the best of three games. And one of us has a strange habit where he plays well while we warm up, stumbles in the first game, but he's completely in the zone in the second but by the time the third game comes around again, he's he's become shaky again. So what what's going on here, Alice? Yeah, like, I mean, it could be physical, but it sounds like it's a little bit more psychological what's happening there. So you know, maybe maybe he um, he just isn't preparing himself well enough uh, mentally for the start of the matches, um, which means that you know when he when he starts the game, he's not quite switched on um, as he as he goes into the game then you know things start to flow a little bit better for him and he takes the second game but then this is this is the probably the the really interesting part in that third game he becomes shaky um, again so so why does he become shaky you know maybe it's because he's getting closer to the uh, the end of the match he sees that if he just has to win one more game to win the win the uh, win the match and uh, perhaps that's where the psychological difference um, happens. Um, we all we all know that feeling. We all know, you know, how it feels to to feel like we're getting close to the end of the game and and to start to get a bit shaky. So perhaps that's what's going on with your friend. Um, it might be, it'd be interesting to uh, to just talk to him and and ask him what his feelings are, um, you know, within himself. Uh, when he's playing those matches, because uh, that might give you some some more clues. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? Um, you kind of find different people handle situations differently. Some people, once they hit the lead, they get a lot of confidence and they're hard to catch. Other people seem to play much better when they're behind, and maybe that's what's happening here. Like he's nervous in the first game, and then you know, once he gets behind in the second game, he's got nothing to lose, so he just goes out there and plays more freely. And then, yeah, again, the third set, he's, um, you know, plays better when he's behind. So it could be that. And you see that, you know, in all sports. Um, it's a fascinating, you know, area of sports psychology. Yeah, it is, isn't it? In our in our sports psychology section, there's a, um, a tutorial on recognise your feelings, and that's probably one that everyone should go and uh, listen to and watch. Um, and, but, uh, you know, maybe put your friend onto it because my, my guess is that come the third game that um, there's a few feelings going through his body that if he starts to recognise what's happening there, he might be able to switch onto it a little bit quicker and, uh, and better and then uh, find ways to, um, to overcome that as well. Yeah, but as always, the first step's just recognising what's happening, I guess. Yeah, but maybe you don't want him to because you want to beat him, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's all working out for you, Frank, maybe just keep it on the hush hush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not a word to your friend, Frank. Not a word. <laughs> uh, very good. All right. Well, Alois, that wraps up show two hundred and eighty. Uh, another great show. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for your support. Uh, and make sure you check out pingskills.com. So once again, thanks everyone, and thank you, Alois. 
Thanks, Jeff, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye.